1: today we're actually talking with my mom. Susan Risk is living her lifelong dream with her partner, Anne, in a solar-powered, off-grid straw bale house on a homestead in southern British Columbia. Mom, welcome to the show. Hi, Rebecca. Um, so yeah. I, I know I'm I'm challenging you a little bit. You and I are both introverts, and and public speaking isn't our thing. Even though I'm I'm here, <laughs> doing this show every yeah. week. Um, so so thank you for I, I commend for you for that. I, I know how it feels. <laughs> well, and, and you also know that I was nervous for the first probably 30 shows. Um, it was very yeah. difficult for me to to get up and and do this. Um, after this is show number. 133 so I'm a little more comfortable but it took a long time for me to be okay with doing this so I know how how you feel because you and I are the yeah. same. <laughs> that, well, that what you're yeah, you're feeling what, you what I felt what when I doing, started the show.
2: Uh, you know I was a video producer for 30 years or so and I was on the other side and I totally get why people were nervous when I was shooting them with my camera. It's uh, it's a scary thing. But anyway, here we are.
1: Here we are. Um, So I wanted you to join me today because you actually come up a lot in my shows. Um, in February, I talked with Kate Rayom about calcium and vitamin K, and we talked about your chickens. And and a couple weeks yeah. ago, you came up, and I I talked about your garden. And and I want everybody to understand what what it is that that you actually have done. I think it's actually really amazing. Um, you know the the it, it was. You talked about it for probably over 20 years before you actually did it. And uh, here you are at retirement, living the life that you wanted.
2: Well, and I dreamt about it for 20 years before that. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I I guess, um, you know, the, the idea for what I was doing started way back when I was around 20. And um, my ex-husband, your dad, and I were living on well we we would visit every summer, move up to uh, a rural farm that was his family's um, vacation spot. and we we were allocated the uh, log cabin that had been a sheep barn, and we we stayed in that every summer. and um, when we had to come home, I would cry when we had to come back to the city. So I think those are the times when I just learned to love to be out in nature and Um, not in the city. The city I think I wanted to get away from.
1: Well, and you grew up in Toronto. So this was quite a a contrast from how you were raised and the environment that you were in. Oh, for sure.
2: Yeah, I was a city kid for sure. But I always had inclinations to be outside and, um, you know, fool around at the creek. And we lived on a golf course. So it was kind of interesting. I could go down and play in the creek, you know, look at the frogs um, and whatever else was going on down there at the time.
1: So um, I remember in high school, this was before internet, you had books on straw bale houses, which would have been how you found most of the information. I think you had all the books available, which was probably two um, at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we would talk about it and you had the book out and you were like, this, this is what you wanted. And, uh, you know, it still took you years after that to to be able to build up to that. But what drew you to the straw bale model? Well, I think
2: as I was learning about it more and more, I found so many characteristics of the straw bale houses that appealed to me. Um, You can use natural materials, so it's going to be more healthy and better for the planet because we're not manufacturing very many things here. Um, to make the house, I mean. Um, it's also... It it would require you to use less heating because of the insulation factor of the straw bales because the walls are very thick. So in the summer, it's extremely cool, and in the winter, it's cozy warm if you have fire inside. And I also... Um, I think there was a bit of romance as well, but I wanted to be part of building it, and so all these factors kind of led me along to learn more and more, and there weren't too many other alternative kind of buildings that came into my my purview at the time. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't find out about too many of the other kinds, but even so, when I know about them now, I would choose this. I would choose a
1: straw bale. So, um... What does it mean that, that you have a straw bale house? Well, it
2: means that the walls are made of bales of straw. Um, basically, the house itself is a timber frame. So there's wood that makes the um, posts and then the beams and then there's a roof. And then you fill in the walls with straw bales and very tightly, as tightly as possible, and then cover the bales with there there are different materials you could cover it with, but uh, we chose mud, which is a mixture of clay, sand and straw. And um, so the the walls are covered in about an inch of mud, both inside and outside. And it's it doesn't it's not like it sounds, it's not muddy in here, it's not dusty in here, it's very uh, pleasant. The color is the color of the clay because we wanted the natural color. And that thermal mass that the clay and, well, the floors are also made of mud. All of those uh, areas that are hard and made of uh, that material will hold on to the heat in the winter, for example, when we have a fire on, in the fireplace. So it's very economical cozy cool in the summer uh, building and very comfortable
1: well um, I've been in it in the summer and it was 30 something degrees outside and it's definitely a lot cooler inside the house oh yeah
3: now At yeah center, I, would...
2: I, I work outside I work outside every day until it's too hot out there and you know we've been having a heat wave here in the high you know in the third, mid third, mid to high 30s And I'll come in and sit or lie down and I'll have to have a blanket over me because (laughs) it's get cold.
1: (laughs) Well, it's so cold in the house and if you're used to being out in the heat, that's a big contrast as well. Um, I know one of the the reasons why you chose the straw bale house is also the environmental factor, which could be because it holds the heat and the cool and the different seasons. But is there another reason why you chose that? Is there... Go ahead. Well, yes. Um,
2: I think I mentioned earlier that the materials that are used for making a straw bale house are local. Um, They're benign in a way because... For example, the sand is just coming from um, the earth nearby. The clay is coming from a a fellow who has it nearby. And um, so, and the straw is not from too far away either. So all of those materials that make up the the biggest part of our house are, um, they can go right back into the ground again if we, you know, if we were to this house apart um, and they didn't cost the earth a lot to produce. I mean, they are already there. So, um, and as for the wood, we made a lot of decisions about where we would buy our wood. We got some of it from uh, a person who uses the, the tax from the timber industry so it would have been left and uh, not used. And um, so, it was lots of decisions like that all of the way, all along the way. We made a lot of decisions. As long as we could afford it, we would do the, the most environmentally friendly methods. And, and as a result, we also don't have off-gassing because we didn't use materials that are in, industrially uh, produced that have a lot of chemicals and glues and those sorts of things in them.
1: Well, um, having the same genetics that I do, with us both being very sensitive to the chemicals, I know that would have been a a driving um, decision for you, but I also know having known you my whole life, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, uh, um, that I think that one of the biggest, I mean, the chemicals are also toxic to the environment. And I know that you're driven by making choices that will help your world and your land that you're on. Um, an example, so people understand how I was raised, Um You know, it, it is accepted now to bring your own bag to a store. But probably 15 years before that became even a law, you and I were bringing our own bags to stores. And I was brought up that way and I did it in my adulthood. And people thought I was crazy and say, I don't need a bag. It's okay. And people were like, are you sure? And you know, this. Yeah, you know, that happened. <laughs> that yeah, that's and, happened a lot in my lifetime. <laughs> and this is an example of the awareness that you had well before the awareness even became something for people to talk about. And uh, uh, where did that love for you come from that, that created such a passion? Well, you know,
2: I think that I was brought up also to be very frugal. And not to waste, my parents were post-war. I was born right after the war. So um, I, I think that their frugality rubbed off on me in this way that I wanted to also always conserve things. So that would be part of it. I also have somehow along the way developed a very passionate, Involvement with nature, and maybe that began because we lived where we lived when I was a child, and I was allowed to roam around and, and explore, uh, and I love all the animals and the plants that I saw, <clears throat> and um, that that was that's always been a part of my life. All those things, so all the way along the piece, even when I had to live in the city for all that time, I would try and eke out ways that I could have nature around me. So you would remember the house that we lived in when I lived in we lived in Regina and the front yard, I tried to make it look like a forest floor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I bring I do. in a lot of <laughs> plants from the wild and trying to get them to grow there. <laughs> And I had a fish pond in the house, in the dining room, because I just wanted the water and the fish and plants all around it. It was always wanting to surround myself with things like that. Even the number of house plants in the house were extraordinary. A number, wow. I think...
1: Not just yeah. the number of, of plants, but the size, because we had that window yeah. that was about 15 feet in the front hallway, and you had a fern that went over this balcony facing the window, and I think it was a fern, a spider plant, and it almost yes, reached the ground from this yeah. balcony, so it was two stories down, and you know, that's yeah. an example of <laughs> what you were surrounded by, and, and the, the the care that you gave to to everything around you as well. Well, you know, living in Regina,
2: uh, when it plummets to minus 30 for several weeks in a row in the winter, and it's really six months or more of very cold weather and not wanting to go out in it, that's part of why I wanted to create something like that inside so that I didn't feel bound, you know, housebound all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So, where I live now... The winters are very mild and um, all winter I can go out and fool around outside for, you know, hours in a day and in the summer I'm out there for 12 hours or so.
1: Well, and so people listening know Regina is a town in um, our prairie provinces of Canada, and it does get very extreme temperatures, so the winters are long and cold. And uh, now you're in BC, which is our most mild temperatures in Canada, and uh, yeah. I know you chose that because you this is how you wanted to spend your retirement, was not sitting inside for six months of the year, waiting out the winter, but to be able to go outside and and enjoy all these things that you love. Yes,
2: that's exactly right. We didn't want to be frozen inside in our older years. So we are trying to create an environment here now that will be easy for us to get around. We actually bought a flat place so that we didn't have to go up. Well, it's half flat. The other half is goes up the mountain. So we do have a choice to walk up the mountain if we want to. But, um, I think later on, always looking ahead, um, you know, we'll be able to march around our yard or snowshoe or whatever in the winter and still enjoy.
1: Um, Yeah, which I think is a lot of the beauty of it because we're going to talk about this after the break, but you're outside all day and uh, I can't get a hold of you until nighttime. Which is okay. That's right. Because I, I I know that you don't have your phone on you and you're out in nature. No. And um, if I want to talk to my mom, I text her and I wait and we make we make a plan because <laughs> by the time you That's come right. in, I'm in bed. Yeah, <laughs> um, I when, know. Which, which I you know I I commend you. I think that not a lot of people ever get to do a dream like this that you are are have pursued for 40 years, as you said, um, and you talked about for 20 and you're living this, which is amazing. Well, well, I have to also hand it to Anne. my partner, Anne, who
2: um, is a really city-centered person and who chose to come out and do this with me. Uh, it wasn't easy for her to make that decision. And um, I have to say that I believe that she's a lot healthier after the four years that she's been out here than when she was working at a desk job. And um, she still does work uh, remotely here, but um, on and off. But her health has improved and I think she's happier. I certainly am too. And I've never felt happier than, than when I've been, since
1: I've been here. Um, which I think is amazing. I, I, you know, I when I talk to a lot of people, and I know that they don't feel that way about their job or their home or their city, and they've made a sacrifice. And I know that um, although Anne made that sacrifice in the beginning, I, I do know you're both doing way better there than than in Regina, and um, it, there's more excitement in your life as well, um, which we're going right. to talk about after the break. Uh, we are going to okay. take a break. We're talking with uh, my mom today, Susan Risk, and we're just talking about her retirement plan, which is living off the land. So we'll be back shortly.
0: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
3: at voiceamerica.com voice america is where you are and where you want to be join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available don't forget to view all our live events including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events
0: your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we are talking to my mom. Um, She lives, uh, Susan Risk, and she lives in southern British Columbia, uh, living off the land. In the first break, we talked about her straw bale house. Mom, I want to talk about one thing. I I was raised this way, which I I think and I know is very different. Um, You always taught me how to take care of my home or um, doing certain things. So you taught me how to change a tire. You made sure that all of us kids, because I have two siblings as well, that we all had tools and we were... um, we could do all those things ourselves. You made sure of that. And you also did all of that. And um, I know with this house, um, maybe you can tell us, you did a lot of preparation. You took courses, and then you were in there doing a lot of it. So can you tell us about some of that?
2: Yeah. I I think it's pretty funny that, you know, it, I, I do remember every Christmas giving all of you kids tools to put in the toolbox that I would have given you years before that and I have no idea if any of you still have them I know I had to renew them a few times you <laughs> you probably got lost when when you moved or whatever or, or partners would take them and not put them back or whatever um, but yes, I, I think being self-sufficient and knowing how to fix things is really important for anybody and especially for women who may find themselves alone and um, needing to be able to, to look after themselves. So, yeah, that's why I did all that. And I, I learned them all sort of by myself the hard way, so I just thought I'd start you guys off that way. <laughs> um, but as far as building the house goes, I, I had been um, a very strong member as a technical person in a group uh, um, a nationwide group in Canada called Women in Trades and Technology Operations and go Collar Work and because of my video work I was a member there and we would do a lot of workshops for women teaching how to do all those kind of tasks around the house like changing screens and fixing toilets and various other things and I, I learned a lot from those women and I know I always, even before that, had a propensity and a love of tools, and I um, wanted to be a big part of the building of this home. I, I would have done it all myself if I could have, but I didn't have those skills. So we were able to find a young man who um, was a builder of alternative houses. and. Um, he lived right in our community, a very small community. He had just built his mom's house here and he is, he's like a saint, right? He, he was so patient with me because he would, he didn't really teach me by saying anything. He just said, do this. And I learned how to do it. So I learned a lot of carpentry. I did a lot of Joe jobs, but the biggest thing that I did on this house was, besides the physical labor of digging and all that, was to, I placed every grain of sand in the mud and mudded the walls inside and outside and and mudded the floors, which is an incredible amount of mud (laughs) that I made. (laughs) And so I feel very fulfilled I think. I also saved us thousands and thousands of dollars. I worked almost every day and for four years well we completed this house.
1: Well, I remember you told me once that it didn't matter to you how long it took to build this house because you loved doing it so much. And and yeah. uh, so the, the fact that you were the one mudding the walls instead of hiring a crew, um, you know, was okay with you. I also know that you loved doing that, and you probably yeah. wouldn't have done it if you didn't. We have many pictures
2: of me when I'm at a workshop or
1: like when I was learning how to do this stuff
2: or even during, uh, lots during the job where I am just so dirty and I didn't mind, like there's mud from head to toe or insulation, well, that's not so great but it was, you know, straw all over my body and my clothes were just torn in shreds and I just, I was having a ball. I had a really great time the whole way through. Yeah, the, the it was the journey rather than the finished product. Although I know that Anne needed the finished product, so you know I would pushed myself hard enough so that she didn't have to wait
1: too long. <laughs> um. So what after building this house, or this probably started before? I guess you could. I don't. I don't actually know when your garden started, because what you do is is such a big deal. So can you tell us about what you've done to your land? Well, we, let's see, we, we bought our land in 2008,
2: and we took the first couple of years to just observe, so I would come at different times of the year, spend the summer. Um, Anne wasn't always here when I was, because she had a full-time job, and I had pretty much semi-retired or retired by then. So, um, in 2010, I started developing gardens. Um, A small garden at first and then it got bigger and bigger and it's still kind of growing. Um, in 2012, so that's about four years after we bought our land, um, I built a cabin and it was about 360 square feet. And I did that just so that I would have, I I could prove that I had the skills to build our house. I want to, and we made lots of decisions in the cabin that, um, based on experimentation and then um in 2013 we built a house uh, started to anyway and it was four years so during all that time I was building gardens um because I had to eat and um we had some pretty learned or met some pretty good friends here who helped me out with food too because they were actually gardeners um before they came here and they had plenty and uh, would always share with me, and I'm so I'm so thankful for that. Um, so gardens um, were pretty important, and, but there was something missing. Uh, even with the gardens going, I felt that there was another element that that I needed, and that was the help of animals. So um, last year um, we got some chickens. And um, they have made such a difference to the gardens from their pooping and scratching and um, uh, and and so that now the garden is so much more productive. I also got some rabbits this year. and their poop is even even better than chicken in some way because you don't have to compost it. You can just put that right into the garden. Right away. So, it, those those elements there are feeding us, but also they're feeding, they're and they're also feeding the soil. So I'm I'm over time growing our soil.
1: So, so um I oh go ahead then, go ahead. Uh, there's just
2: so many factors. You know, it's uh it's such a complicated thing to actually create a homestead from scratch there was there was nothing here before but very poor land and rocks and now we have buildings and um, gardens and and sort of a cycle of how things can can go around and feed each other basically
1: um, A couple weeks ago, I talked with uh, David Montgomery about um, no-till farming, and I prepped by reading his book, but I talked to you um, because I knew that you knew what he was talking about, and uh, you know, only visiting with you um, and seeing your garden, I, I didn't quite understand what you were doing, and the way you garden, now I know, and I have a lot of respect for it, is very different than what somebody who doesn't understand would know where they're digging up their ground and they're digging holes, and that is not something that you do uh, at all. No, I don't. Uh, my gardens are all built
2: um, after the first attempt. I, I didn't know how the, how the way I'm doing it now would work so well at the very beginning. <clears throat> and we tried to dig, and 18 inches down, we had so many a uh, huge pile of rocks. You couldn't believe we had to use a pry bar to get them out and some of them were just huge rocks we were taking out of the ground and then I just decided that that was not the way we were going to be able to make big gardens so I started building them on top of the ground using um, a sort of a modified kugel culture technique which is placing w- wood pieces of uh, logs and sticks and all sorts of things down in a layer and then building on top of that with green brown green brown green brown and, and then you can actually um, plant in there and things and those things break down and compost over time the wood holds on to water and over time decays and becomes a source of food later on in the process but in the meantime, in our drought season, we have all this soggy wood underneath that is composting over time, and it's holding so the roots go down and they can get some water. It's it's amazing, um, and and so I've tried various um, uh, ways of doing that. Some was with logs, some was with newspapers. Someone gave me a whole garage full of newspapers and I just lined them all up about a foot high and used that as the wood component and another way was with wood chips and I put a foot of wood chips and, and two years later if you looked at the bottom of that pile or it's not a pile, it's a whole field full you would see soil underneath there and so now I'm planting our fruit bushes in there and it's mulch and it's soil so it's, it's just amazing. Um, well, if you don't you,
1: touch yeah. I, I understand this more by interviewing yeah. uh, David and his wife Anne Baclay which was last week um, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know it, what I understand that what you're doing is basically feeding the soil instead of it drying out and needing pesticides which I'd never thought of it that way before so what what they talked about was was very beautiful of this is um, how we keep healthy soil and it's the same as our microbiome and our in our bodies which I understand more looking at the health side so I know with you wanting to take care of your world you' you're just you're feeding the earth that you're that's then then feeding you, which is, is a very beautiful concept. Um, that and, and I I understand also it's easier to do that because it's less gardening, you know, to dig it up and spray it and do all that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well you wouldn't want to dig up someone else's home, which is, you know, what you're doing, as I know those folks said. Um, but also like the worms tr- create Channels down there for themselves, and all the other little buggies that are down there—they—they they don't want to be disturbed. And once you disturb them, as you've learned, um, mm-hmm. then they have to re-readapt. So it takes all that time, and doesn't doesn't really produce it for growing the soil. Yeah, you're right. So I I pretty much put mulch on, and then. Um, on top and I plant through the mulch and then the mulch breaks down. I put more mulch on and poop and different things. So that's how it works. And it it really does work.
1: And um, I I think the word that's used with this, what you do, you use the word permaculture a lot. Yeah.
2: And, um, well, the one, the, I, I learned that word when I was, doing some of my prep work for what our life might be like in the future. So I, I, I went to a university class and audited uh, it. It was environmental, environmental justice. And I came across the word permaculture, and I hadn't heard of it before. I looked it up, and I thought, geez, I'd really like to learn about that. So I found that there was a, a permaculture institute right here, and that's what brought me out here. Um, I went to the class. It was two weeks long um, and um, just fell in love with the concept. It's, it's really a um, uh, permaculture is a design principle, basically, for agriculture and, cult and social um, communities. And it, it kind of looks at nature and tries to emulate nature. So I use patterns that nature might have, like seasons and winds and rains, and um, where the energy is coming from—say the sun or from water power or whatever it is, wind—and then you you observe all the things that you have near you, and you try to to uh, adapt your ways of being to fit in with those things, and so it it really helps if you're not fighting and so if you were to to be a very strict gardener like you might know where you plant in rows and every weed is out of the garden and when the when your plant has given you its food you would take it out roots and all and toss it uh, that's not what my garden looks like it, it's it looks kind of messy Um, Not completely, because I do have rows, but I leave a lot of lambs, quarter, and parsley and various other weeds, as people would call them, in the garden. I love their roots being there, because they're drilling down and making air pockets and holes for worms and other things, water. Um, I cut those off and feed them to the rabbits when they get big enough, or I lay them down as mulch. So it's everything has... Has a purpose and a use in the, in this um, organization of um, processes, and, um, it, and they're all interdependent. So, you know, the the rabbit eating the, the what I what you might call weeds um, poops out and put it back into the garden. You know, it's just a whole cycle,
1: um, which. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about your chickens and your rabbits. So, everybody stay tuned. Um, we're we're about to talk about the fun stuff. Uh, we're talking with my mom, Susan Risk. So, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back shortly.
0: The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Riss. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is enantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking to my mom. And uh, we're talking about her land that she lives on. Um, Mom, can you tell us about your chickens? (laughs) Well, um, they are
2: a really wonderful animal. And I learned to respect them so much. Uh, Every one of them has a different character. They respond to, if you you spend time with them, they respond to you with, you know, a Pretty funny way, um, they, with, it's their funny ways. Um, I spend uh, quite a bit of time making sure that they have, uh, the best food I can give them. So I ferment their food, I pick and forage for them if they can't in the area that I keep them. Uh, and, This year, we increased our flock, so I actually have three flocks of chickens. Um, I have the ones that we got a year ago that have laid eggs for us for a whole year, and then I have uh, another flock of birds that will be for meat for us, and then another flock that is going to add to the egg-laying flocks. Um, They're all different varieties, and every variety has different characteristics and I'm just learning so much from them. It, it's very interesting to birdwatch. They have, if you were to look at them um, as humans, because <laughs> you could almost humanize them, you would find every different kind of person in there, and you also kind you find a lot of violence, and um, you find what the pecking order is all about, and so many words that we. Have in our vocabulary, like being cooped up or being henpecked, or th- so many of those phrases come from these animals that have lived with humans for centuries and centuries and centuries and, and been
1: very useful and helpful to us. Well, so you're w- when you got these chickens, I didn't think that you were going to be able to follow through. Um, because you got, I think you got 20 or something last year and yeah. uh, to start, but you don't know the sex and you can only keep one male. And um, the way I was raised by you was that animals are part of our family because we had a dog that had a behavior issue and we couldn't put her down, although other people may have um, because we loved her and she was part of our family. So I was raised that, you know, this was what we did to support part of the family. And then you get these chickens (laughs) And you, you were. Um, so, t- can you tell us? I mean, tell us what your. I, I know that was hard for you, because um, yeah. you had to kill a bunch of them. So, can you tell us about that? Yeah, this isn't the first
2: time in my life that I have been through this, but I have always believed that if I'm going to eat meat, that I should have some responsibility for their life. And their death, and that um, I'm not. I'm not saying this is for everyone, but I, I first of all can't eat a lot of the meat that I can buy in the store, um, and I also don't agree with the methods with which they are grown and killed. So, one of my best options, if I'm going to eat meat, and I, I do eat meat, and I'm probably going to continue to eat meat for my life, because I've tried not to, and it, I don't feel that well. So, is my option is to grow them myself, feed them as well as I can, and then help them with their deaths, and thank them. It sounds like a cliche, but I really am very thankful for what they give to us here on our homestead. I'm very uncomfortable with killing them and I it took me a, a lot of years to come to the the conclusion that I would do this again we tried it when we were living in that log cabin um, and it wasn't it wasn't very it, it just wasn't a great experience but I have learned how to do it a little better and um, I I watched others do it. I talked. I interviewed a lot of the farmer people who are here in this rural area where we live. I witnessed what they went through and and questioned how they felt. And everyone feels bad uh, when they have to do this. It's not a good day for humans. But... Um, Uh, I helped someone who actually kills them for other people. And I saw how she did it so quickly and without um, a lot of disturbance. And I soul-searched and decided that this is what I would do. So, yes, these chickens are here for um, our food. Otherwise, there would be chickens from some other awful place eating food that isn't very good for them. So I'm just hoping that in the scheme of things that I'm doing the responsible thing as far as um, they are concerned.
1: Well, and um, first, I know how spoiled those chickens are. Um, I've seen yeah. your your trays of wheatgrass, <laughs> and I talked about it on my yeah. show with Kate Rayon, um, and we know that your eggs are actually the way eggs are supposed to be because your chickens are are fed the way they're supposed to be. They're grass-fed, and, um, and the eggs are, are full of vitamin K, which is yeah. something that's missing. So although you know, especially for city folk. And and it, it can seem strange what you're doing. I know with doing 133 interviews about not only our health, but this year I've wanted to focus on our environment and how that's impacting our health because that is one of the biggest things. People ask me, why is food suddenly an issue? Why, you know, was my grandmother or my mother able to eat things that now... I can't, and my children can't, and my friends' children can't, Um, I know that it's what we're doing to the food. And it's not just, you know, in that conversation I had with David Montgomery about how food is being grown, but also how our animals are being raised. So what you're doing is what is supposed to be done, in my opinion, from all those interviews and the research and conversations with specialists, is chickens are supposed to be raised being spoiled and grass-fed and loved I'm sure (laughs) yeah well I think
2: that they do they do appreciate all the things that I try to do for them and um there aren't too many people who ferment their food although um it's not hard And I know that, you know, if I don't have to give them soy I can I can make sure that they have the kinds of foods that would that would make a healthy animal without things that have GMO or pesticides or anything else. I can feed them organic, I can feed them a lot of greens that I can collect from the land or have them forage for themselves. It's just uh I guess managing them in such a way that, yeah, they're healthy and basically happy until the very last second they don't even realize what's going to happen. And uh, it's basically my emotions that are the bad thing that day.
1: Well, and, and I, I think if you if you didn't have those emotions, you know, I think you would not be human or, you know, you'd be... Uh, it, I think it's normal to, to feel that way and like you said you um, talked to all the farmers and I love that the word you used was interview um, so to remind everybody that <laughs> you used to be a, a, a video producer and uh, you made documentaries <laughs> so mm-hmm. I know that, yeah. that you you actually did interview them, um, you probably took yeah. notes <laughs> and, and gathered your information and basically without the camera made your documentary on, on what you yeah. wanted because um, you made a ed- made my documentary documentaries. in real life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so I know exactly what happened. Um and it was basically like this kind of conversation um knowing you and and um probably how I am able to do this kind of show as well as you teaching me to gather that sort of information before you make those decisions and to understand what is what you need to understand to to go forward which is what I think you've done here is you knew that our earth needed love, and you knew that for your own sake, you also needed to have that connection with the earth for your health and to be happy, and, and then you did that, which is amazing.
2: Yeah, you know, the, the connection to the earth, I've heard psychologists say that if you actually have your hands in the dirt, you have fewer, um, uh, less um, chance of being depressed, Mm-hmm. And I tell you, my hands are so dirty, I can't get them clean anymore. Which <laughs> I can, Which I can contest
1: clean. to. <laughs> is what? Which I can contest to. I, yeah. I know that, that, that is that is the way it is. Um, your nickname in the family is Susan Dozen because you're always dozing yes. something. And if you're yeah, not in the true. garden or with the chickens, you are painting or, or fixing or organizing, I think, more of the, the first ones. But you're also very organized. Um, before we finish the show, I just want you to tell people how making this decision and working for years towards your goal has actually changed how you feel. Well,
2: I, I said before that I earned to do this my whole life since I was a young woman and it's not like I didn't have a very interesting life because I did. I was always excited about what I was doing and I was um, involved in creative endeavors almost all my life and I think that coming around to the right place and time even though I was 60 when I started this and now I'm you know, in my 70s um, even though I had to wait all that time to do this, um, it it has shown me that um, what to be thankful for, I guess, because I have all those interesting things I did didn't really make me as happy as this this project, this creative project. There's so many decisions to be made and things to do and create and many things i'll never have the time to learn because i'll probably expire before i get around to them all but i'm trying to get around to them all you know there's there's so many things i want to learn and so i think that that is how i'm going to keep um healthy for the longer haul and until i can't do it anymore and then you know um Hopefully, I can have a green burial. (laughs) You you can have whatever you want. In the meantime, I'm just very joyful at what I do every day. And um, I'm very content and satisfied with the decisions we made to come
1: out here and do this. I'm, I'm so glad you did because I know that um, not it's not just the physical activity it's the connection with the earth and it, it's how happy you are and, and I know that you're both happier out there uh, less stress and connection to what you need and so you're going to live longer which is good for me <laughs> see how I made that very selfish um, <laughs> um, but I, I know how hard it was for you to come on my show today and I want to thank you for joining me and I love you
2: well it's, it's been a pleasure and uh, it went by fast as you said it would <laughs>
1: yeah um, yeah so thank um, you for having me uh, yeah I, uh, I want to thank everybody for listening we talked to my mom today so I hope you enjoyed her story and I hope you got something from it just be sure to uh, make today a great day thanks so much